0: Hello, Frighters! I'm Holland Elise, and this is Fight or Fright. Hello, lovely Frighters! So, if you follow me on social media, you will have received a sneak peek into this week's episode. But, on top of that, you will have seen that I am shouting out the people who give me five star ratings and reviews at the end of each episode. All you need to do is put how you want me to refer to you. And if you want your location, you don't have to, but just on the end at the end of the episode on the five star review, put in the name slot how you want me to refer to you and I will give you a shout out. So, if you have not yet left a rating or review, you should on Apple Podcasts because it helps me and you'll get a shout out. So it's a win-win, right? And if not, if you don't do that, which you definitely should, you should follow me on social media so you can get updates like the fact that I'm going to start shouting out the people that give me five-star ratings and reviews and also the little sneak peek that you would have received if you followed me on social media. So I'm just grateful to anyone who listens to this. So I just want to give you guys props. That's why I decided to do the shout outs because I really appreciate everyone that listens to this podcast. And I think y'all deserve your props. So wait to the end of this episode to hear the shout outs that I've already received, or to hear the shout outs for ratings and reviews I've already received. And... One last thing before I get into the episode. If you follow me on social media, you also will have gotten a sneak peek at this app called Crime Door that I've become obsessed with. Guys, it's terrifying, intriguing, eerie, and my stupid-ass self needs to stop looking at it before I go to sleep because it may or may not be giving me nightmares. It's definitely not for the faint of heart, but it's really interesting how through AR and your camera on your phone it gives you access to move around different crime scenes by putting all the crime scene photos together and make it so that you can kind of walk through it it's really interesting it has the delphi murders it recreates the snapchat that the one girl took it has the jeffrey epstein crime scene and so on they're not a sponsor they're not paying for this but It's super interesting. It's terrifying and creepy, but it's super interesting. And if you're like me and are kind of fascinated by the morbid, you should definitely check this app out. Again, they're not a sponsor. It's just something I like. Thought I'd shout it out. Anyway, so now that I'm done with the business, let's get to this week's episode, which will be including some history in it. The actual case is interesting to me, but there's not a huge amount of information on it. So I'm going to add a little bit of history in it because history was one of my favorite subjects. And if we don't know about history, we are doomed to repeat it. Anyway, I am going to get off my high horse and get in to what y'all are here for. So as I said on my social media, I posted something about Abraham Lincoln and a crazy trial that he was a defense attorney for. He ended up writing a short story about this, a little bit dramatized because, you know, we're all into theatrics, but for the most part, it was accurate to the case that he was working. And the short story can be found on Smithsonian Magazine, which if you give give it a Goog, you'll be able to find it. So again, Let me get into some history on good ol' Honest Abe. So he was born February 12th, 1809. He was born in a one-room log cabin in Hardin County, Kentucky. He was born to the parents, Nancy and Thomas Lincoln. And at around the age of seven in 1816, the family picked up and moved to another town, which was in Southern Indiana. Abe was a very hard worker. And in order to support his family, he had limited schooling because he had to keep so many jobs in order to support his family. So in 1830, Abe moved with his family to Macon County, Illinois. He worked at this time on a river flatboat which hauled cargo down the Mississippi River to New Orleans. He then settled into New Salem in Illinois, where he became interested in politics. He became a member of the Whig Party, and in 1834, he was elected to the Illinois State Legislature. He, he was a self-taught lawyer, and in 1836, he passed the bar exam. So let's just like think on that for a second. He didn't go to school for it. He taught himself law. And then passed the bar exam. The bar exam is not the easiest thing to pass anyway. And he taught himself. Dude was smart. That's all I got to say. He was smart. And like his Whig Party role models, he opposed the spread of slavery. And in 1837, he moved to Springfield, Illinois, which had recently become the state capital. And then when he moved there, he ended up meeting a Kentucky belle with some moolah. She was, as the articles state, a well-to-do woman and had many suitors. This was Mary Todd. One of one of the suitors was Abe Lincoln's foe, Stephen Douglas. But in the end, She chose good old Honest Abe, and they married in 1842 and ended up having four children. In 1846, he was elected into the House of Representatives, but he was pretty dang unpopular due to his stance against the Mexican-American War and decided that he wouldn't run for re-election and returned to Springfield, Illinois with his family. But then he was thrust back into politics due to his opposition to the Kansas-Nebraska Act. The the Kansas-Nebraska Act would allow territories, not federal government, to decide if it was a slave or free state. So he opposed this. He thought that the federal government should be the people to decide. And he spoke against his foe and Mary Todd's old suitor, Stephen Douglas, on this fact. While Stephen Douglas was obviously on the wrong side of history this one, but then again, most historical figures were, so, you know. But Abe denounced slavery as being against the Declaration of Independence. And in 1856, he gave his famous speech house divided, which, in loose summary, said that the country, or the US, would not survive being half slave and half free. This speech gave him national notoriety, and in 1860, he became the presidential nominee. He became president, because obviously he won that election. I think most people know that Abe Lincoln was a president. I can't remember many of them, but I remember him. (laughs) good old U.S. school system. Anyway, sadly, he was murdered April 14th, 1865 by John Wilkes Booth when the Civil War was kind of coming to an end and it looked as though the Union won, which they did. But at that point, they didn't know the Union won. It was just they had a stronghold and John Wilkes Booth was part of the Confederacy. This is obviously a very marginalized, narrow, shortened down paraphrased version of this history, because this is not the crime that we're going into at this time. So anyway, April 14th, 1865, John Wilkes Booth killed Lincoln when he was seeing a show in the Ford Theater. There we go. Anyway, so now that that very brief history lesson is over, Let's get into the actual case. And guys, there's no murder today, but there is craziness and a mic drop situation. So let's get to it. So, there were three brothers living in Illinois. None of them were living in the same town, but they were all living in the same state. The oldest of them was William Trailer, the middle was Henry Trailer, and finally, the youngest, Archibald Trailer. They were all getting up there in age and either retired or starting to retire. I believe both Henry and William were retired and Archibald was still working, but on his way to retirement. So 30-year-old Archibald was single and he was living with his business partner, Mr. Myers. So this reminded me of the bridesmaid scene where she's like, lesbians, or in Pitch Perfect where it's like, let's be honest. (laughs) But I mean, I know it's two men, but still, when they said living with the quote unquote partner, my mind immediately went to, they're just, you know, they're just roommates. They're just good friends. (laughs) But that's just where my mind went. Anyway, they lived in Springfield, Illinois. Then there was Henry, who lived about 20 miles away from Archibald in in Springfield. He lived with his wife and kids on a farm in Clary's Grove, which, like I said, is 20, 20 miles northwest of Springfield. Then the oldest, William, was a widower living in Warren County, which is about 100 miles northwest of Springfield, Illinois. So now that we got most of the players, let's get to the incident. So it was 1841, and William had a nomadic wandering lodger named Archibald Fisher. For the rest of this, I'm just going to refer to him as Fisher because the one brother is Archibald. So Archibald Fisher, just going to be Fisher. So Fisher did odd jobs, kind of wandered around the state, staying different places. Just, like I said, doing some odd jobs, which... You wouldn't think would make you super rich and loaded. But Fisher was single and he was also very frugal and very good with his money. So he had a lot of money saved up. This comes to play later. I just wanted to clear that. So William went to visit his brothers He was going to venture to Henry's and then together they were going to make their way to Archibald's in Springfield. Fisher was living with William, as I said, and I couldn't find if William didn't want Fisher to stay at the house by himself or if William invited the lodger to come along on this trip. Either way, Fisher took the journey with William. So as the story goes, William and Fisher set off to Henry's. They stayed the night at Henry's. I mean, back then, a hundred miles to Springfield, it's a long freaking way. So it would definitely take a while. So they stopped at Henry's and then the next day with Henry, they made their way to Archibald's. When they got to Archibald's, they set out for lunch, all four of them, Fisher and the three brothers. They set out for lunch. They were kind of strolling around Springfield. And then Fisher got separated from the brothers. They kind of kept walking around and doing their thing. Just, they figured he probably just made his way back to Archibald's house. But he seemingly just disappeared into thin air. But after the brothers strolled around, they went back to Archibald's house. And when Fisher had not shown up after dinner, they went out searching for him. They couldn't find Fisher and they gave up their search for the night. Obviously, it's dark. It would be hard to find him. They just stopped and figured that they would get back to it the next day. So they gave up the search for the night. But when they woke up the next morning, they went to search again and there was still no trace of him. Eventually, Henry and William had to get back home. Henry had a fa- family he had to get to and check on, and William just needed to make his way back to Warren County. So they embarked on their journey back home, and William made it to Henry's, stayed with him, and then made his way, made the rest of the way home to Warren County, probably secretly hoping that Fisher had just made his way back home somehow. From all accounts, Henry made his way back to Springfield after checking on his family and checking on the farm and all of that to help Archibald keep up the search for Fisher. But there was no dice, no cigar. They didn't find him. Law enforcement and basically the public didn't really give a shit about this case until rumors started going around. Rumors started that William was the beneficiary of Fisher's life insurance policy. Like I said, Fisher really didn't have family, didn't have anyone He was a single man living by himself doing odd jobs or living with other people, renting out rooms in their places, doing odd jobs. So this led to people believing that the brothers killed Fisher for the money during their trip to Springfield. This These rumors made their way to the police and law enforcement, and they ended up arresting Henry and Archibald. These two were closest to Springfield, so it was the easiest for them to get them. They didn't want to make the 100-mile trek to Warren County for William until they got a better idea of the situation and what was going on. Archibald obviously denied these rumors and claims, but... Henry, after three days of interrogation, relented and confessed to the crime. With this word, they then went to Warren County so that they could arrest William. So everything happened really quick. I mean, we do have the right to a speedy trial and so on, but this was really fucking speedy for sure. Like, it was crazy how quickly this went. Anyway, at this point, you may be like, all right, Good old Abe, you he said he's the defense attorney. Where is he coming in? What's going on? Where is Abraham Lincoln? Well, here you go. As I said before, he was the defense attorney for William and Archibald trailer. Like I said, Henry had confessed, so he was working with the prosecution and it looked like his brothers were going to be convicted and hung for this crime. There was no doubt in the public's mind that the rumors were true And that the brothers killed Fisher so that William could get the life insurance policy, the money from the life insurance policy. Anyway, and Henry really didn't help because he was with the prosecution and he I mean, he probably confessed under coercion since it was three days of interrogation. There also could have been a deal or something. I mean, he had—he was the only one of the brothers that had a wife and kids to look after. So there might have been some, some deal or some coercion going on in this interrogation. But either way, Henry really didn't help the situation for the other two brothers because he was working with the prosecution and that wasn't a good look. But Abe was like, Nah, man, not on my watch. I may be a self-taught lawyer, but I'm awesome. And my clients are not going down for this. And he had a mic drop, boom chakalaka, down bitch witness. And man, was he going to blow this wide open. So Abe put this witness on the stand. So this witness was Dr. Robert Gilmore, And this man was a well-respected physician in the area. And Dr. Gilmore testified under oath that mentally Fisher wasn't all there. Fisher had received a head injury when he was younger and he never really fully regained all of his senses. This head injury would cause confusion and Dr. Gilmore said that he probably just lost track of where he was and what was going on. So you may be asking, what is the doctor's proof? Well, hold on, folks. The doctor said he knew this because Fisher was at his house recovering. Fisher had gone through one of those confusion spells and didn't remember his time in Springfield. In this confusion, he had made it all the way to Peonia before he regained his senses, remembered who he was, figured out where he was, and then made his way to Dr. Gilmore's. Dr. Gilmore said that when they were arresting William, when the police came after these rumors went wild, he tried to get to the police to let them know, no, 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 Fisher's with me. Like I said, this was a bombshell mic drop situation. Abraham Lincoln even wrote to one of his friends about the enjoyment that he felt looking at the faces of the people in the courtroom when they found out that the man that they were looking for and these people were on trial for killing was actually alive. It went from shock to anger to just what the fuck? Surprise, everything. There was just so many different faces and (laughs) so many different facial expressions and Abe just enjoyed every minute of it. So the brothers were acquitted and let go. And in case there was any doubt, Archibald Trailers' quote-unquote partner, Mr. Myers, brought Fisher to Springfield. So people saw Fisher and saw him alive. So there was no doubt that Fisher did not die and that the brothers had nothing to do with it and that was the case that was the strange case that Abraham Lincoln won and ended up writing a short story about i know there wasn't murder figured could probably use a break from it after some of the cases i've been doing recently and history is my jam and i found this super interesting so there you go so now for the Friday is over banana now Anyway, so if you're listening to this, you're a fan of true crime, just like me. So you'll probably already have heard about the John Bonet Ramsey case. I mean, in all honesty, who hasn't if they're a fan of true crime? Well, recently, her older half brother, John Andrew Ramsey, took over kind of as family spokesperson, essentially, kind of, so that his father could enjoy life his kids, his grandkids, and just whatever he has left. So what he has to say, I found an article um, that's just like a snippet of a 2020 episode. And he was saying that his family has been under suspicion and just everything for so long. This case has gone way beyond them, and has gained a cult-like following. As I said, most people have heard of this case. But that his family didn't do it. They were victims. They lost John Bonet. He even said that he was at the airport in Atlanta because he had spent Christmas with his mom. He was going to Michigan, which was where the the Ramseys were going to be spending the day after Christmas. So he was on the plane when he received a page and the flight attendant came to him and said that he needed to get in touch with his family. That's when he found out about John Bonnet's disappearance and he freaked out, rerouted, and went to Denver instead of Michigan. When he got there, John Bonnet's body had been found and it was just mayhem. He says that his family didn't do it. And the DNA under her fingernails didn't match anyone in the family, and along with other evidence found during the investigation, this caused the DA to clear the Ramsey family completely. I'm not saying anything of what I think happened, I that's way over my head, but John Andrew Ramsey says that this case is solvable. And I'm sure the whole family would want it to be solved so that if they didn't do it, they can be cleared in the public opinion too. Because there's still some people in the public that have their opinions that it was a family thing or something with the family happened. I'm not saying what I think, I'm just saying there are people out there that believe that. I personally don't know. I have my theories, I'm not going to get into them. It's not this episode, but Depending on how the DNA was stored, and with all of the advances in DNA and companies like Ancestry, 23andMe, I think that this case could be solved if they stored the DNA properly. If they are able to connect the DNA under her fingernails and find out who that is, I think it will get them one step closer to discovering what happened. And on top of it being solvable with DNA, I don't think it hurts that there's so much coverage. There's the new Discovery Plus documentary on this. There's podcasts. There's interviews like this one on 2020. And I think that in its core, this is just a horribly sad story about a beautiful life that was cut short. And without all the speculation and rumors of what happened, JonBenet does deserve justice. So... I think that this case is solvable, too. I think that if the I didn't look into the DNA because, like I said, that's not this episode, but if it was stored properly, I really do think this case is solvable. There's so many cold cases that have recently been solved due to DNA, things like Ancestry and Me, so I think it's solvable. And that's it for The Fright is Over. Yeah. So, now to the shout-outs. Thank you to woman entrepreneur melulu crazy the day away winhum girl dm pots 93 stumble and stumble upon user thank you all for your kind words and your five star ratings it means so much to me y'all are awesome sauce i also want to shout out kelly smiles and yeah you guys are just amazing Thank you so much for your reviews. It really helps. I love you guys. You're awesome. You're maze balls. And that is this week's episode of Fight or Fright. So, if you want to follow me on social media so that you can get the little hints like this episode was, you can go to Fight Fright Pod on Twitter, Fight or Fright Pod on Facebook and Instagram. You can email me anything you want, listener stories, crazy things that happened, case suggestions at fightorfrightpod at gmail.com. And again, just a reminder, if you give me a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts, I will be shouting you out going forward. You guys are amazing. And remember, guys, don't fight this fright. I love you all. And join me next week for a whole new episode. Thanks for joining me for another episode of Fight or Fright. You can find me on Instagram and Facebook at Fight or Fright Pod and on Gmail at fight or pod at gmail.com. Twitter is the only one that's a little bit different in there, and that's at Fight Fright Pod. And if you enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it. And it would really help me if you rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Even just spreading the word to family, friends, people you know that enjoy true crime, mysteries, paranormal, all of that kind of stuff. And this is Holland. And I'll see you next week when I tell you another crazy story. And remember, you don't have to fight this fright.